Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, you know, go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Jana Horn is a talented songwriter and singer who originally hails from Glen Rose, Texas. Currently based in Charlottesville, Virginia, Horn released her critically acclaimed debut album, optimism in 2022 garnering praise from critics and establishing herself as a gifted and adventurous young artist on april 7 2023 no quarter records released horn's brilliant lyrically compelling and musically intricate second album it's called the window is the dream and prompted janet and i to connect for a fun talk about things like uh, the lives she's led in virginia and different cities in texas Loving public schools and pursuing the study of creative writing, the music and literature she consumed as a child and teenager, and reading the Bible a lot, her youthful admiration for Weird Al Yankovic and Leonard Cohen, and Godspeed You Black Emperor-related stories I like to tell about both of those folks, her takes on spirituality and existentialism, getting ready to finish a book and defend her thesis, her unique gifts as a songwriter and singer, upcoming tour dates, other future plans, and much more. 
a part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, which is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into this podcast. If you're interested in supporting the show financially at any amount per month that you wish, please visit patreon.com slash creative control. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 769 of Creative Control, featuring the gifted and alluring Jana Horn with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Jenna. How's it going? Oh, it's good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's uh, nice to uh, meet you. We've never encountered each other before, and I just want to say uh, I'm a fan of your work, so it's nice to, to meet you and uh, get to talk to you. Where in the world are you today? I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia. Ah, how are things in Charlottesville, Virginia, per se? Well, right now they're sunny for a day. They seem things seem to be all right. Things seem to be going just fine out there in the world, from what I can tell. My little window here. <laughs> you know, I, I get sometimes every once in a while, someone's like, "Why do you ask these questions? Like, where are you?" Because, and I, I just think it's interesting. You know, I've been doing remote conversations for most of my career because I've lived in smaller Ontario towns. Now I'm in Alberta. And so I, it's interesting how many people defer to the weather though. And I think that's where people like, <laughs> everyone just talks about the weather. And I, I'm like, I don't even know what my intention is necessarily, but, uh, I guess we all talk about the weather. That's just the way the world is. Well, it's just right there, you know, it's just like right there. <laughs> how are things in my city? Well, from what I can see out my window, sunny. <laughs> yeah. I can say that much for you, pal. Yeah. Maybe it's a weird exactly. question, but. My, I like to uh, do it as a sense of place thing. Um, how long have you been in Charlottesville, Virginia? Um, I've been here since fall of 2020. This is for so. school, school, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So where, where, where did you move uh, there from? I was living in Austin where I had also gone to school. I went to undergrad there and I just kind of stuck around for 10 years or something like that. Ah. And then came here. So. Ever come ever come across a person there by the name of Carson McCone? Huh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Become friendly with Carson myself, uh, and she was on the show uh, last year, I want to say it was. I've lost track of time. And so uh, we got into Austin quite a bit, uh, what it was like. Uh, uh, you're, uh, did you say, sorry, did you say you're from there or you just were living there? I was just living there. I'm, I'm from a, a really small town in Texas um, called Glen Rose. Glen Rose. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is, is, what's the nearest metropolis to Glen Rose? Oh, goodness. Like uh, maybe Fort Worth or something. Kind okay. of the Dallas area, central. Yeah. You ever uh, you ever been to Denton? Oh, sure. Yeah. I had a, <laughs> I had a little fling there once. A fling with the city or with... <laughs> 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 so you had a little relationship? Is that what you're getting at there? I don't mean to pry. Sure. Sure, yeah. yeah. I brought I, it up, so it's my You fault. brought it up. It's a university <laughs> yeah. or a college town, I believe. And I, I sorry, yes. I have, I have a fondness because, uh, really the only time I think I've ever been to Austin, we, we were, I was on a tour and, uh, we ended up in Denton and I was like, this seems nice. And people are like, oh yeah, you know who went to that school? Dave Brubeck. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like there's like a jazz, mm -hmm. whole jazz scene. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a music town. Yeah. Anyway, For so sure. you're in, uh, uh, Glen Rose, did you say it was? I hope I didn't say that wrong. Glen Rose. Glen Rose. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. where, that's where you came up? That's where I grew up. Yeah. I was there until, until I wasn't, until I was in Austin. <laughs> until you were an adult? Coming adult? here was the first time. Yeah. Until I was an adult and, and I, I didn't leave Texas till, till now. So Texas all the way. So you're pro Texas. You don't have a problem with Texas? Do you have any problems with Texas? 
Oh, geez. Um, I have problems with everything. So <laughs> Texas isn't really <laughs>、um, so different than that. We sound, we sound very similar. I also have problems <laughs> with just about everything.、Uh, do you, was it a good upbringing there in terms of、uh, the stuff、uh, that motivates you to make and do things now? Did you have exposure to the arts and the culture and the music? Yeah, I, I'd say that my, my upbringing was like rather idyllic, which is, you know, maybe, maybe a funny thing to say, but we had a, a nuclear power plant in our town. And、um, in exchange for that, you know, possibility, we also had a lot of funding for arts and schools and sports and all these things. So it kind of felt like a little bit of a, a cultural oasis in rural Texas. I mean, it had a, all the other things that a, a rural town in Texas has too, but it, it had something a little、uh, peculiar and foundational and,、uh, you know, a little more interesting, I think,、yeah. than, than others.、Yeah. I see. Nuclear power plant funding the arts is that like a, The Simpsons or something. That is,、uh, that is interesting. What, what was it like growing up in the specter of nuclear power? <laughs> 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 Um, well, you know, I wasn't really aware of it. You know,、okay. I was kind of just there. It's only in retrospect that I really realized what a special place it is. I feel like when I left high school, I was this like、um, impassioned advocate for public schools. And I found that that wasn't really a common cause with people I was talking to. And then I kind of got to talking about our experiences and realized that, oh, like, You know, my public school experience was probably manipulated by, by this other、uh, looming elephant in our town, which was the nuclear power plant. So,、um, you know, I, I've come up with a narrative for it. I, I, don't know, I, I don't know how true that is, but it's at least rumor. So, so wait a minute. You had a good time in public school. Other people you talked to, not so much. Is that what you're getting at? Like, you know, when I, when I went off to college and was talking to people I hadn't. I hadn't known before about their experience in public schools in Texas, you know? So,、oh. um, yeah. What's the distinction, though? You, yours was good in terms of what you were exposed to,、uh, in terms of education, and they were like, I, I got nothing. They didn't teach me nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Texas has a reputation for,、um, I mean, at least in, in these rural poor places. Our, our town was pretty much under the poverty line. So,、uh. um, it's not、uh, expected that. That the education system would have had a lot of you know, fuel for, for these kinds of things.、Um, you know, big basketball coliseums yeah,、right. and you know, all these whatever. Yeah. So you lived under the poverty line where you, were you left wanting? Were you, were you, were you、uh, deprived of things that some of us might take for granted, kind of thing? Oh, no, no, no. Not me. Okay. You know? Yeah. 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 I could choose not to eat. So, you could choose not to eat. I get it. I, that's an interesting yeah, yeah. way of putting it. And I feel like as we talk, you're going to have interesting ways of putting things because I really admire your writing on this record. And I feel like you, you got a gift for the gab and the writing. That's what I'll say right now.、Mm. Yeah. That's my,、mm. that's my read on things. Your phrasing, by the way. <laughs> well, I can't wait to talk about this record and we will in a moment because your phrasing,、uh, beyond reading the lyrics off the page, I just want to preface what, what, what the conversation about your work by saying I really appreciate your phrasing. I just want to say that. Uh, it's oh, really nice、you. singing and you've, It's one thing to read the lyrics, and then the way you, you actually put them together as a singer, man, it's great. Anyway, I've jumped the gun. I just want to get back into、uh, your, your、uh, upbringing for a moment. Was there music in your household? Were you exposed to a lot of music in the family? You know, not really. We had like a Queen's Greatest Hits album on the boombox,、uh, Michael Jackson, Christian radio, country music radio. But no, no, one, no one's particularly musical in my family. And I, I didn't really have a lot of real outlet for what I was、hmm. doing. Yeah. What drew you to music then? Just, it, sounds like it, it sounds like you had a little bit. So there was some in the house. But do you recall what actually drew you to, to music making? I, you know, it's, it's really hard to say. It feels less conscious than that. I felt like I was just singing before I was talking or thinking really. And, Yeah, I, I can remember the songs that I was writing on the playground at recess still. So it, it just kind of was my, my way, I guess. I don't really, I don't really know how it, how it came about. I didn't start recording songs until I had a laptop, which was like high school. Yeah. But, sure. Yeah. yeah. High school is usually when. 
most people uh, uh, figure that stuff out a little bit, like maybe that they can actually do the stuff unless they. I don't. Did you have any music lessons as a kid? My my son has uh, piano lessons and they they don't like it, but at the same time, they've grown to appreciate my argument that it'll come in handy later. It's like a language. I I always say, and they go, "Yeah, you're right. I guess, Papa, it's a language." Because I'm like, you can communicate <laughs> with anyone with a, you know how to play music. You don't even have to talk. And they're like, fine, if you say so. They said, yeah. they said that to me the other day. I'm like, you, are you okay with the piano these days? No. Oh, you don't like it? No, not really. So why are you doing it? Well, you told me it would come in handy. So I'm taking your word for it. It's very kind of meta parent child conversation. I thought in a way, like I'm trusting that you're right. We shall see. It was almost spiteful. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Did you have any music lessons or anything? Well, I like that you said that, you know, if, if it's a, it's a language. So if, if we could just play music at each other, we wouldn't have to talk anymore. And, and that would be kind of nice. You know, I could just play a few notes and then you could play a few notes back and, and we could do that. I've got my guitar right here. If you want, I can, you can just, <laughs> that can be the rest of the conversation. It'd be very unique for the show. No, I don't think yeah, that would too be bad a good I idea. only play two notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mostly a drummer. So you play your two notes. I'll bang on the desk. No, uh, no, no. I, I think it, don't you agree? I mean, I don't know if you've been in these circumstances where you you enter a room or you're on stage in a workshop or some situation, and you may have never spoken to anyone on stage before, but you have a code, you have a language, it's chords, it's keys, it's it's a progression. Like, have you not been in those situations? I'm sure you have. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of like the... I don't, I don't know if I consider it like exclusive to music, but, you know, art has a kind of way of just like, yeah, transcending the need to... To you know, yeah. Gab, I have this like memory of being in a, a coffee shop recently where this guy came in and he was probably a little, you know, off his rocker, but he was watching all of us on our computers and he, and he came, he came up to everyone and he's like, someone get me a pen and paper so I can write blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I just thought it was the funniest thing. Like, like that's kind of what, you know, it's kind of my whole life right there in that in that little moment. But I, I, I like the, the way that music can kind of just move beyond words and, and make, you know, words kind of obsolete, you know, unnecessary. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, perspective from someone who I believe is studying creative writing. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These words, are you just uh, burnt out because you got exams or something and you're feeling a little jaded? Yeah, maybe. I, I'm working on my thesis right now, and <laughs> I'm like, well, why do we need words? Can't I just, I just turn in my album? <laughs> I felt like that when I was finishing my master's thesis. What's the point of this? I don't even want to do yeah. this. I handed it in. Mine was about uh, the history of the uh, advent of the popular culture entertainment industry, all via the Bob Dylan album Love and Theft. And I, oh wow, that I, sounds compelling. It was, yeah, it's all right. I got a soft A on it. I think I kind of, it was a rush job. I just wanted it done. It was good. I was happy with some of it, but I, if I could do it now, I, it would be better because I know how to do things better and I'm older. But anyway, I finished it and then that night went to see Bob Dylan in Toronto, August 16th, the 25th anniversary of Elvis Presley's death, which figured into my thesis and he played a song that night that proved my thesis right so i deserve the a is what i'm getting at here jenna and uh but i know, I know what it's like you're just kind of how many how many more years you got in this degree oh well i graduate in may you gotta get the so. thesis done and then you're done i'm done do you gotta like, defend the, defend the thesis down there because we don't do that or my school stopped doing that yeah i do have to defend the thesis i have to tell them exactly why i'm getting that soft a <laughs> what is a, it's a creative writing thesis. Do you have to write? What? how does that work? What do you, what do you do? Do you mind sharing? Is it boring? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, you, you write a book. So, really? um, yeah, I mean the first portion of it at least. So like a, a minimum of a hundred pages. Um, oh, okay. You, mm -hmm. It seems like some sort of bizarre spec novel <laughs> pipeline thing. What do you mean? Well, they, they're getting you to write a bit of a book and then they're like, ah, ha, ha. We're going to get you to write a book and now we're going to publish it and make all the money. Uh, university Press or maybe, I, I don't know, I'm, I was making a dumb joke. You're acting like books make money. That's true. I My wife works in publishing. I know that, that's <laughs> not true, actually. But my point is, uh, so you're just working on, uh, do you have an outline beyond the 100 pages? Like, uh, do you think it could go beyond that? Well, um, I do think it'll go beyond 100 pages, but I also like these little books, you know? Yeah. 
oh. the little ones. Is there a chance it would conclude itself within a hundred pages? I think that's what I would. That's what I would desire. Ah, I've got my 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 favorite books tend to be these little guys. You know, they just fit in your pocket and yeah. If you can say it in a hundred words, or not a hundred words, <laughs> hundred pages, a hundred pages, then you know, I think that's there's something like a kind of satisfying and crystalline about that. Yeah, it's a finite jest. It's the opposite of anyway. That was right. also <laughs> yeah. also a terrible joke. Okay, listen to me. I need to ask you about what compelled you to take up creative writing because that's a calling. That's something you discover you're decent at, and then and then you wanted to go legit. And go to school, but why? Why, why creative writing exactly? Um, why creative writing? You know, I should really have answers for these kinds of things. But you mean because it it's an like in, it's because just... it's an interview, or because <laughs> you should? No, someone else is... I mean, I should probably, <laughs> I should probably have like some sort of foundational understanding of myself. Yes, but you know, I it's it's hard to say. It's something that I picked up. In college, I had a teacher who said, you know, you can write. And I took it to heart and um, I started, you know, writing. And then I graduated and I wandered for a few years and I decided I was done wandering and wanted to, you know, make some sort of something out of this this life. So I, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll write a book. I'll write a book. Yeah. So you were you were clearly taking an English degree in college. Yes. Okay, yeah. like English literature. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were drawn to not a lot of music in the house. It sounds like, but you were drawn mm-hmm. to. Were there lots of books in the house? Did you read a lot? Not really. What? What? Okay. You know what? I'm asking such specific <laughs> questions. Why don't you just tell me what the heck went on in your household that made you who you are today? Because it doesn't seem like there's much music, which I thought. That'll be obvious. And now you're saying there weren't that many books. This is also throwing me for a loop. You seem to be wanting to be someone other than who you were, uh, maybe coming up in Texas. You've taken different routes than you had uh, access to. You know where I'm coming from. Yeah. What yeah. was the, what, what were you actually doing with your life when you were living with your family in Texas before you moved to, uh, I guess to Austin? Okay. So yeah, I mean, I was reading, I'd say. The Bible, ah. um, that would probably be what I was reading. I mean, I, I read books for school and, and these things, but I didn't have a particular proclivity for, it wasn't like a bookworm. The most specific thing I can, I can try to say is that I was really obsessed with musicians that were like wordsmiths. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had like a M&M phase, a Weird Al phase, a kind of like uh, those, interest. Those, those in, are my people, by the way. I've interviewed. Yeah, yeah. I've interviewed Weird Al a couple of times. He's been Have on the you? been on this show, and he's lovely. What a lovely guy! I will just tell you, he's very sweet. Uh, in the course of a giant biographical story I did on him, I've discovered he 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 questioned why. I'll just tell you. Do you mind if I tell you this real quick? Please tell me. I didn't mean to derail you. Also, I uh, wrote a lot about uh, that same year. I was doing my master's degree. Several essays about Eminem. So I think you and I are similar is all I'm getting That's at there. That's hilarious. But yeah, That's Weird hilarious. Al Weird Al was invited to play All Tomorrow's Parties, which is a festival thing that used to occur in mostly in England. And uh, they would ask other artists to curate it. Are you familiar with the band Godspeed, You Black Emperor at all? Uh, yeah, I've heard. heard I, I, yeah. I'm not, yeah. So they were asked to curate it. And curiously, very curiously... Their lineup included Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> and this is like, I don't know what year it is. It must be 2000-something. Uh, and he, at that point, Weird Al, who you and I know has been around since what? 1980-whatever it was. He had never, ever played Europe in his life. Ever. Wow. Never, never played one show in England. How's that even possible? Yeah, seems weird, right? Like Elvis. Elvis never did. And, and Weird Al just never did. Anyway, th- because they asked him to do that, uh, he got to book a little tour and he that's the first time he played in a bunch of those places but in the course of our conversation he's uh, he said you know i don't know if it was ironic i've never got the chance to ask them why they booked me so i said oh i know those people let me find out anyway i hung up on weird or i didn't hang up on him we ended our interview and i write to my friends in godspeed i say can you say what happened and they say 
Uh, we can't tell you specifically, but it was for a deeply personal and a completely sincere reason. I email Weird Al's people, his manager. Weird Al writes me back. He's so nice. Well, wrote me back directly. He well, was so grateful and kind. He's such a sweet. Sorry. I just want to tell you that sometimes uh, you encounter people and they're not that great and they're not that nice. Weird Al seems extremely sweet and nice. And I just want to say that you've chosen Eminem. I don't know, but uh, Weird Al with Weird Al, you've chosen a very nice and funny and charming guy. Sorry for the tangent. I just like to talk about no. Weird Al. So you fell in love with the wordsmithing of Weird Al and Eminem. Uh, and I used to perform the song without me all the time with a band I was in. And so I have it still in my head. And now my son is obsessed with Eminem, which I don't like because some of the imagery, he's on, they're only 11. I don't think it's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I can't yeah. control everything. I'm, I'm only a parent. My point is, uh, <laughs> please continue on about Weird Al and Eminem and wordsmithing because that's fascinating to me. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, those, those artists might have, sort of had a tinge of, uh, alternative, you know, aura about them in the, in the kind of really small town place that I was. Um, so, so there's that. And then, and then once I kind of, you know, aged a little bit, then it was Leonard Cohen and, and, and some of these other, uh, folk musicians that I wonder how I, I wonder how I even found in high school. I, I don't know. I, I must've had some friend who helped me out because other than that, it was pretty much like screamo music and yeah, just like alternative Christian kind of what are, stuff. What are we talking about? Are we talking about late nineties? What, what, what era are we talking about? For, um, for you, I mean, when I was in, yeah, when I was in high school, that would have been like the 2011. Oh my God. Okay. Sorry. I always forget how young, young yeah. everyone is. Uh, I used to think I was young and then I realized I'm not anymore, you know? Uh, so, uh, that, that's fine. I just wondered, uh, the reason I brought it up is, um, were any of your friends and co, uh, in your cohort, uh, fans of Nirvana? In high school? Yeah. No way. Not at all, right? Well, no past way. Uh, no, no, it's not well past. It's just that, uh, our, our sphere of influence was just so narrow. Nirvana wouldn't have even been in the, like sure yeah i only invoke i only invoke it because you said i don't even know where i figured out leonard cohen and leonard cohen had a couple of renaissances i will say and one of them uh beyond the jeff buckley the famous thing with the hallelujah song right uh, there is the nirvana stuff that that kurt cobain actually said give me a leonard cohen afterworld in the song penny royalty on the album in utero i think people were like leonard cohen why is mm-hmm. he singing about Leonard Cohen? And I think for a whole alt-rock generation, myself included, who kind of hung on every word, it made you want to seek out whoever Kurt... Kurt was very generous with trying to cite heroes and underground figures that he thought other people should know about. Uh, and people can question his motivations and all that stuff. But I thought it was always... I was like, well, what's Kurt trying to tell me here? So then I got into Leonard Cohen. Anyway, I'm just saying he was probably in the ether among young people for a couple of different reasons, Leonard Cohen. You yeah, figure? yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, you have no idea. It just Leonard Cohen came your way. Also, yeah, young men like Leonard Cohen <laughs> in particular. Are you calling and, me a young man? No, but I'm saying like you probably no, I'm not, not at all, not even in the remotest <laughs> sense. But there's just something, and and young women, they're charmed by him. But I think the young men look to him as like a, you know, a figure you would emulate, a ladies' man. You know what I'm saying? Mm, mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you got all this swirling around. I'm sorry. I've gone on several tangents. I met Leonard Cohen once too, by the way. And, uh, Whoa. He was, yeah, I got to meet him. I got to attend. I was just telling the story the other day to my family because, uh, we were watching, uh, uh, one of the Harry Potter movies was on, um, the TV or something. And Alan Rickman showed up and I got to attend a thing at Massey Hall. It was a tribute to Leonard Cohen and Alan Rickman was there. And he got to do it. Wow. He he did a presentation. John Prine played a couple of songs. It was amazing. It was an amazing night. So I got to see all these folks. And then afterwards, there was an after party at the restaurant uh, across the street. And uh, Leonard Cohen was there and Alan Rickman was there. And I go up to Alan Rickman. I was working uh, for the, the major company. I say, hey, Mr. Rickman, do you think I could get a quote from you about your participation in the Leonard Cohen thing? And he said, this night is for Leonard. I don't want to speak on behalf of Leonard. <laughs> 
this is for Leonard. And I was like, he was very nice, but I was like, okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. Then I went and said hello to Leonard Cohen. And he curiously said, I said, hello, Mr. Cohen, a big fan. He's like, hey, man, it's great to see you again. Never seen him before in my life. I, I, I never seen him before in my life. I don't know who he thought I was. I was like, yeah, nice to see you too, Mr. Cohen. And then we did a little photo and it was very quick, but I, he shook my hand. It was very sweet. And then anyway, sorry, I don't mean to name drop with all the people I've talked to. You've, I don't know what's wrong with me today, Jana. I'm sorry. You got me excited. My point was going to be about no, the... Bu- there's something consistent about these stories where you kind of bypass the middleman and go straight to the guy. You yeah. know, you went straight to Weird Al, you went straight to Leonard Cohen, and you get, you know, what you need. I guess I'm trying to tell you that I'm all right. I'm not a bad person, but I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't mean to name drop and show off and hijack your interview. My point was going to be the... Well, bu- I have a Leonard Cohen story, too. Oh, please. It's not mine. I'm telling it secondhand, but I, I did talk to someone who knew the guy who would drive Leonard Cohen home from his shows every night. So oh. the, the guy, his driver. Yeah. And after every show, apparently he would offer Leonard Cohen half a peanut butter jelly, half a peanut butter sandwich. Sorry, no jelly. No half jelly. a peanut butter sandwich and a piece of fruit. So maybe an apple, maybe a banana. Oh, nice. Um, yes, that's his after show meal. Oh, well, that's a good meal. That's a good energy boost. You need that afterwards. You don't want that before that. All that peanut butter will gum up your singing voice uh i would think yeah. but uh okay okay i'll since we're going back and forth here tying this back to godspeed godspeed you black emperor <laughs> had a band called uh, there was an offshoot band called silver mount zion if i remember the story correctly i hope i do i don't want to get any facts wrong so uh leonard cohen befriends the montreal recording engineer producer musician howard billerman i don't know if you, you ever heard tell a howard but uh, howard was briefly in arcade fire uh, has made a bunch of records, run, uh, helps run the Hotel to Tango Studios. And Howard randomly gets an email from someone purporting to be Leonard Cohen. Says, I want to meet you and talk about collaborating and whatnot. Howard's like, Pfft. he figures out it is Leonard Cohen. Anyway, he's running. He says, all right, come by the studio sometime. So he's running a session for Silver Mount Zion. Very intense instrumental vocal band. They're just very intense. They're doing a take in the Hotel to Tango. And it's really intense. And they finish the take and they look in the control room. Leonard Cohen is just sitting there with Howard. Oh my God. Oh my God. I just think that's the greatest. Like, what the hell? Like, he was so a man about Montreal. He just showed up by himself, said, I want to meet you and blah, blah, blah. And he was just sitting there cross legged. And I don't remember if he said anything about the take, but he's that kind of guy. So I, I, do you, do you want to one up me with another Leonard Cohen story? I'm sorry. I don't mean to go back and forth. No, I'm, I'm afraid I, I can't. I can't compete with that. <laughs> Sorry, this was not meant to be storytelling hour with Vish. I want to uh, ask you about the Bible. Uh, you invoke the Bible. Oh, I, I don't know what it means to you now or what it meant to you then. I know that uh, um, some religious motifs can enter your work, uh, and certainly you had a huge song. Uh, what does that book mean to you? What did it mean to you at the time, and uh, what does it mean to you now? Can you speak to that? At the time of writing Jordan, is that what Oh, sorry. Saying? At the time when... Sorry. No, I didn't mean that. I did reference that song. You're right. I did. I alluded to Jordan. No, you said you grew up and you didn't read much except for the Bible. That's yeah. the period I yeah. want to get to. Uh, and uh, what what faith means to you now? Can you speak to those things? Yeah. At the time, I think I was reading the Bible in a way that was very studious and I was very interested in memorization, which I I still think is an important practice that isn't really done a whole lot once you're out of school. But it's it's interesting, and I'm surprised that it's kind of disappeared a a bit. Um, Don't you you think it's completely gone with the telephones? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I do think it's kind of completely gone, and it's it's interesting. There's something more, I think, to memorizing than what you're memorizing. It's like a, you know, some sort of thing that's just not you're just not accessing anymore well Um, to be frank with you i think it's going to lead to a lot of odd cognitive defect you think well if you read about how to combat dementia alzheimer's it's usually Um, mm -hmm. you need to kind of keep it's like treat it like a muscle work on memory games like they always say that and like i'm sorry again i don't want to keep imposing myself but like i just want to say as a kid i've told the story on the show many times as a kid, I used to know like 30 phone numbers in my head. I would call all my friends on the telephone and I didn't have anything written down. I mean, maybe I did at one point, mm-hmm. but it just eventually you don't. I couldn't tell you my, I know my wife's phone number. I couldn't tell you most phone numbers now. 
And my kids right. on their phones don't, no one has to, no one, has, every fact is like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to look it up and it's gone. And they don't, they talk to the machines. They don't even type anything in like something. Right. Sorry, man. I don't, I'm not a doctor, but I just feel like some fucking neural pathway cognitive thing is. I worry about my children. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to laugh, sure. but I do. Yeah. I just, they don't read as many books. They just physical objects. Like there's some to that, I think. Uh, so I, yeah. I worry. And, and just typing numbers into a phone. Like, I don't know. Just the relationship with, uh, with that is, I, I think is going to lead to a really like a generational shift of like ADHD and, and I don't need to know anything. Uh, you know what I mean? I don't need to retain any information. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I mean, the implications are pretty, uh, are pretty stark and dire. Um, <laughs> this has been a wonderful conversation. Pretty, I know everyone is really feeling cheered up, but you were talking about biblical passages. And, uh, I was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's something to like just keeping stories alive through memorization that is also lost. You know, I kind of, I, I hear what you mean. I, I see that there are some really tangible health problems that are going to incur, but there's also something like uh, philosophically, you know, depressing about the tradition of storytelling and being able to pass these things along in ways that go beyond the physical too, yeah. um, and 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 are ephemeral themselves. And so, yeah, there was, it was really impressed upon us as kids to memorize the Bible and be able to, you know, know it by heart. And to that effect, I think it's cool. I think it was a cool thing that I, that I was a part of. And, um, I think it's cool to know things off the top of your head and, and to be able to share them and to be able to have things that you store inside yourself, like, um, sure. you yeah. know, a little wealth you're, you're packing. So, there's that. I, I, you know, I really, really believed what I was reading and, and I, and I, um, I had a, a little soldier faith and, and all these things. And what does the Bible mean to me now? It's just different. I, I think there's, I think there's, I think it's very truthful. And in the way that I think a lot of scripture is very truthful, I guess the way I kind of, it makes its way into my life now is a lot more subtle. And, um, I have, uh, other words for these things. And I feel like a lot of things are operating on that frequency. So I, I, I could kind of say that the unconscious, the collective conscious, the, you know, more subliminal qualities of life are, it's all the same to me. Mm. Um, so I don't treat the, I don't treat it as literally as I would have uh, at the time of, you know, memorization and, and being able to to say the right answer and, and all these kinds of things, yeah. I gather from what you're saying, this uh, struck you as a very—it's been a very personal experience between you and your faith in the Bible. Um, but as you know, in this time, uh, people tend to weaponize or or uh, create fragmentation with their religious faith. Whatever your religious faith is, it, it becomes really complicated, and um, and particularly. Uh, I mean, some people think this is not religion specifically, but like this level of it's my way or the highway is really feeding into <laughs> a lot of this disinformation fracturing that's going on. Uh, does it give you pause to know that in some, not your particular faith, but all faiths, does it give you any pause uh, to think that like we're really quite divided in so many ways? Religion seems to be one of the key ways. Um does that give you pause in terms of how you practice your faith and, and, and maybe even express your faith uh, in your work or otherwise? You know, it to me, it's not really like a big conscious um, process of I don't have a message. I don't yeah. want to impart any kind of thing. I really believe in the act of creation and making art as being like a, a symbiotic relationship between the the person on the other side of it. So yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't really see the point in <laughs> um, telling someone what I believe necessarily. I don't know if, if that makes any sense. No, no, it, it, it does. And to be honest, you're describing to me an ideal way of practicing one's 
faith and belief system of whatever that is actually there's so much exhibitionism about everything now uh you can't just be (laughs) you have to be like not not only am i this way i need everyone to know about it all the time yeah And, and that's an interesting part of it i feel like i was always used to certain kinds of people uh whether it's their faith or their culture or their belief system whether wearing a nirvana t-shirt like whatever there's always this sort of sense of like this is who i am and i need to express it by how i present myself and the things i say in public uh but that seems to be on a out of control level now of whatever thought i have whatever feeling i have i don't know i don't only want to express it i need someone else to deal with it Right. I don't know. Right. How, do you know what I'm saying? Like, so the, and it's, it's leading to more and more like, I don't know. I, I, I have no solution to this and I might be talking out my ass, but it just feels like how are we going to get out of this sense of everyone being fl- like flame wars and triggered by everything that everyone's saying all the time? Because it used to be you would express, people would express themselves good or bad. And you'd be like, well, that's just what they think. But now it's like a news, depending on how you engage with the world. You end up like, good lord, they're still talking about this stupid thing. <laughs> Everyone in the media yeah. is still like for yeah. three days. Like this is such a stupid gas stoves. Really? Like what the hell are you talking about? So yeah. uh, anyway, sorry. All I'm getting at is it sounds like you have thought about this uh, and made a personal choice not to be whatever, uh, mm-hmm. overtly whatever. Is that what you're saying? Like overtly dogmatic or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I don't consider myself anything really you yeah. know i mean like yeah. I, I i really resist claiming much of anything about yeah. you know myself even just to kind of i don't know of course it's not always that simple but yeah. um i think on a on a base level i just try to really be more like aware and less sure yeah. of you know anything good I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's actual, uh, curiosity. Of course, that's great. I mean, I guess where I'm gonna, the reason we've done such a, uh, retrospective, uh, or the reason I have is because I'm trying to figure out how we got to these amazing songs on this record, The Window is the Dream. I got, I would think that everything we've talked about, uh, certainly has informed <laughs> who you are now and who you are today. Um, as we ponder some of the things we've talked about, are there specific things you think like from your history and and your perspective on the world that inform a your creative writing and b um your songwriting i just wonder if you you can feel that in any kind of tangible way your faith your what we just talked about your approach to to life and i don't know how to to encapsulate what you just said but it seems to be like just being why not just be <laughs> um do you feel like yeah. that informs let's let's stick with the lyrics actually cuz i i do find this this the the time frame of you taking up creative writing and how that the, the coursework i believe has informed your songwriting here that's fair right well yeah it, it's it's kind of a funny it's kind of a funny thing to to talk about like what influences you and and what you what you both put in and then send out so i could tell you all the things that i was like reading and listening to and doing and all these things and, and which songs I was writing in which places and, and what was affecting them. But it's, it's really funny what, what comes out and, and what you put in. You know, I'm, I was reading, you know, Borges and Lee Spector and Henry Miller and, um, you know, some really esoteric stuff. And then what comes out, you know, I don't know. I could tell you that I was listening to The Fall mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it, I don't know. I don't think it sounds like the fall or something, but it's um, so it's it's an interesting thing that I think about a lot, just kind of how things filter through however they're going to. And I, I think it troubled me at one point in my like artistic life where I was like, why doesn't my music sound like the things that I listen to? And um, then I then I kind of came to the conclusion that like, because it's not for me, <laughs> because I'm not making music for myself. And that's kind of something I just, it gets a really freeing feeling. It's kind of an, an impersonal feeling. Um, not that my, not that my songs are impersonal, but I can pretty quickly 
detach from them because they're not in no way am I am I trying to make a claim that they're representative of me, that they are me, that they are for me. Mm. They're kind of what filtered through me in that moment. And it's almost like a meditative practice or something like that. I mean, my a lot of my songs are these like two chord back and forth kind of things. And yeah. I go into them without an idea of what they might be. You've, so. you've been a bit self-deprecating about your guitar playing two notes, two chords. And I, I, can, <laughs> I can recognize that and I appreciate that. But I was my wife and I were listening to this uh, record and we've been listening to it quite a bit. Uh, over the last uh, week or two, and um, she's remarked that it doesn't really sound like anything that she can name, you know. Like, and, and I think mm. that's a really that's a high compliment, as you might imagine. The volume of music that gets played—not the volume, but the sorry—the amounts uh, of music mm-hmm. and new music that get played in my house. Uh, uh, my children could be uh, conti- they could write for Pitchfork at this point. They get they hear so much <laughs> stuff and they have so many thoughts and feelings about it. But um, I think that's high praise, and I would echo that. And when you mm-hmm. say you you sound like you're describing an almost objective relationship with your own songs, and I wonder if two notes, two chords for anyone listening to that and thinking it's straightforward. The what I'm getting at and what my wife is getting at is the musical arrangements are very sophisticated. Um, and I assume that you're collaborating with people and would you, would you say they're kind of helping you bring these ideas to a different plane or something like that? Um, are they, are they integral to helping you realize what the songs are going to be? Um, I think certainly I, I am not an island and I don't work alone. Um, anyone will tell you probably at this point that I'm like a, I like to, I like to think of myself as very um, collaborative, and and in the end, I'm like kind of like laser focused on on details. Like I probably take it from my mom, who would like find the one little uh, stitch in my shirt that was coming out, and so therefore I couldn't buy the the shirt I loved or something like that. You know, she would always find that little thing. So yeah, I, I I'm kind of a uh, it's a very tedious process. Recording is not is, isn't a, isn't a big joy. Of no, mine. I don't like it. I don't like um, it. Either. I've never really. Lo- I've never loved yeah. it. I like playing and coming up with stuff. But then you're like, ah, did we get it? If you're any kind of particular yeah. perfectionist, it's not really that much fun. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really rather terrible. Until until you get um, to a point where you realize you have to let go. Yeah, 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 and then the letting go is a whole is a whole thing too. Yeah. So it recording is just, I wouldn't recommend it. Well, again, I don't mean to keep invoking Mr. Dylan, but like, I do think his approach is the right one, which is that the recording of the song was just what happened that day. When I go, when you go, yes, when you go yes. see him, the songs can m- mutate, if you will, or come to life, if you will, in different ways. And he accepts that on some level. So I, th- yeah. I think that's the healthiest. I don't know. There are people who go to an, uh, any band, their favorite band is like, oh, that didn't sound like the record. And you're like, yeah, just stay home then. What do you want it to? Why would you come <laughs> to a thing expecting yeah. it to? Anyway, sorry. So yeah, yeah you've got, I, I appreciate your answer there. Um, I, I like for those who haven't heard this record yet, um, be prepared. It's, it's both subtle and sophisticated, uh, musically. And as I alluded to earlier, I'm really, um, compelled by you as a singer, Jana. Can, and I, and I do want to get into some of the content here because we were talking about religion uh, and I was thinking about the song for Eve that you have here, which is a, a mm. bit of a, a reinterpretation of the Adam and Eve story, I would say. And I was mm-hmm. also thinking about mm-hmm. this song in between, which has this great set of lyrics. Say what you want for the present. I live in between is and isn't. You're getting into kind of that existential philosophical stuff and the religion stuff, which I always find an interesting knot. <laughs> of, of of faith and logic and what are we doing and I, I always think that's fascinating so I'm jumping ahead of myself I want to uh, talk to you first about your approach as a singer uh, and I don't mean to ask you to cite influences but how would you characterize your approach to writing things down which is one major factor but then I think you just do some acrobatic stuff if you will with your phrasing like if if anyone's following along you're like whoa I would not have expected that line reading to go that way. The singer is actually bringing a whole other character to these words. I don't mean to overflatter you, but can you talk a little <laughs> bit about your uh, approach to singing? Well, I try these days just to sing. 
<laughs> you know, as opposed as opposed to, um, not to sing like you know Regina Spector or mm. Leonard Cohen or, or all, you know, I, I I went through a phase like anyone does when they're trying to kind of find their voice to figure out to to emulate all these other people and try all these things and you know these days I really just try to sing. That's that's well put. You're trying to sing natural. I think you're get what you're saying. If I may interpret or or or, or whatever, uh, you're trying to be yourself. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to just not. Yeah, to not trick anyone. Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> not to, to pretend you're someone else. I guess. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. just sing, which is which feels good. I, that's I thought, very important. That's very important for an artist to find their voice. Yes. I feel like at some point in my life, I'll probably just speak and stop singing altogether. And then maybe I'll, I'll stop speaking too. And just let you know, those two chords take everyone away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the, uh, almost, uh, I guess I was asking you a question the way a sportscaster would ask a, an athlete at the end of a game. What happened? <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, I just shot the basketball. <laughs> I sang, buddy. I you know what your question about the singing? I sang. No, I'm kidding. I think that's a it's a it's a good response. Uh, it's a good answer, and I, I get where you're coming from. I think. Um, can we go back to my ramble about um, that interesting realm between, or what I think is interesting? Maybe this is a bit trite, but that philosophical versus I don't know religious uh, connection that I drew between these. Uh, again, I'm it's a bit of a loose connection, but I mentioned song for Eve. Which I th- let's talk about these one at a time. What inspired <laughs> that uh, song, "Song for Eve"? Song for Eve. I think I I think I started singing a song. You know, I like I said earlier. I, when I when I approach a song, I try not to know what's going to happen. So I think the line came out. You know, shame is the color of my eyes now that I see. Mm. And then I started thinking about what I was saying, and then I was thinking, oh, this is kind of like probably how Eve felt or something. This feeling of like, I don't know, the consequences of of knowledge and guilt for knowing things that are maybe you shouldn't know, and and yeah. the trouble you've get you've gotten yourself into by knowing more than you should know, hmm. and uh, it just felt it felt right. I didn't intend to like write a song about Eve, but it it seemed like that's what I was doing once I got started. Was it an attempt to recontextualize Eve? Do you think? Like a way of telling a side of a story that you felt hadn't been told? Sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No one gets Eve's side of the of things, you know? Yeah. I don't know if this was Eve's side, but I can imagine. It's really a, it's really a funny story. I'll leave it at that. I, I don't want to expand. <laughs> I don't want to keep talking about it. But <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't mean to make un- I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. I just... Uh, no, no. I know, I, I, and I don't mean to pry too much into your faith either. I hope I'm not doing that, but uh, it no, just, not at all. just strikes me. So then I want to get to in between. Uh, beyond it being, I think, a clever turn of phrase, say what you want for the present, I live in between is and isn't. Uh, we are all going through some sort of temporal fucked up let's put it that way. I wonder if you, is this informed by the way temporality has worked during the last three years or, or is it beyond that even? I th- I think beyond that, yeah. you know, the past three years are like, they are what they are, but I don't think anything is necessarily a consequence of those things. I think it's kind of more like, I don't know, it feels more essential than that, than just like blaming it on, on the big thing that is so obvious um, to all of us who have been alive. But that song, yeah, it's to me, it's kind of about... I mean, I don't, I don't really know what the song's about. I shouldn't say that. But that, that line you mentioned, like, say what you want for the present I live in between is and isn't, is kind of like a feeling of living in a swirl of, like, all the tenses. So the concept of, like, being present while being so kind of affected by the past. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's a very simple way of saying no, it. But. No, well, if, if I may uh, draw back to my uh, time as a, uh, an English student, I don't necessarily just, when I say existentialism and whatever I said earlier, but you're talking about a state of being, but I think it's about life and death. And I, I feel <laughs> like that's informed, when I said yeah. the last three years, this pandemic has mm-hmm. really 
uh, taught us a lot about how much people actually value life and death. Or, yeah, or yeah. I don't know about you, but I feel like we've all been dehumanized. Like death doesn't even register anymore. We desensitize to it. And that's why people aren't like, th- yeah. but when you, like the lines here that also stuck out to me in the same song, heaven knows the heart holds a wick, size of a thumb waiting for a hand to come down and light it, see it burning in the distance. Like that to me, if I may, Jenna, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> all, that's, if depending on your faith, depending on your belief in heaven as a concept or as a real place, that's the next thing. That's the next stop. So when you say between, what did I say the line was? You probably know it better than me. Say what you want for the present. I live in between is and isn't. I live in between being here and not being here is the way I took that. And I, and I, right. I viewed it. Sorry if I'm wrong <laughs> or I'm misinterpreting the song, but that's what I, all I, see in the world now is some measure of people trying to cope with life and death and also come to terms with it being an actual real thing that can come for all of us in one way or the other, the death thing. Um, sorry, is any of that, was any of this even no, I, written during no, this I think that yeah. I think that's, um, I think that's certainly like a, a big part of it. I mean, it also kind of ties back into our earlier conversation about just what things are and what they're not. Yeah. And just this kind of like the idea of being something and not being something or being right or being wrong. And I just don't see things in that way. I don't see them as being they are or they aren't. Yeah. There's something else, you know, belying all of that. That's um, that I think is what everything actually is. Yeah. The, um, the in between, you know the I mean? in between. It's nebulous, but yeah. it's it's nebulous, but it's not. Right, yeah. right. It's actually, it actually just is. Yes, yes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to do a little minor excursion into this world of this album because I find it fascinating. I don't think it's any one thing, musically or lyrically, and I just wanted to highlight that for people who might not have yet dug into it, and. uh both compliment and confuse you with my uh, reading of some of what's going on. So sorry for the latter. In the interest of time, I think uh, I, I want to sort of start to ask you some housekeeping questions in terms of, you know, where people can learn more about you and this record and also maybe what's coming up next. At this point, I usually ask people if they're working on, you know, records out and we all process it. But the truth of the matter is it might have been done a year ago and the artist is already working right. on something else you got your thesis we know about that good luck with that defense yeah. in may did you say <laughs> yes so we all yes. are there tickets for that can we buy tickets to your thesis defense uh are you going are you taking it on tour or anything like that oh dear god <laughs> um no that'll be a very very private performance <laughs> so sorry i'm obviously joking can you tell us a little bit more about where we can learn more about you and also future plans any anything you're working on musically Sure. Um, I'm, I'm writing some songs right now. So future plans. I, I actually never, ever, ever think ahead. I just don't. This it's a problem. I see. Um, I see. Cr- creates problems for me, but I'm writing songs. And so we'll see what happens with those. I'm writing a book. We'll see what happens with that. Um, <laughs> you can find out about me on the internet because that's where everything lives. You can find me on uh, social media. You can find me on No Quarter. Yeah. The label I'm on. You can find me um, in Charlottesville. If anyone's heading to Charlottesville for any reason, uh, what is it? The yeah. University of Virginia? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. That's good. That was vague and specific at the same time somehow. You did it. <laughs> Are you going to tour after your thesis defense uh, behind the record? Yeah, um, I had to push the shows off till um, June because my mom's in the hospital. Oh, no, I'm so um, sorry. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but so there'll be a, a little bit of a, a delay. The album will come out in April, and then um, I'll start playing shows in June. Okay. And we're, yeah. um, America mostly? America, yeah. We'll be doing like a little um, Northeast okay. run. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're ever near Edmonton, Alberta... Uh, please drop me a line and uh, let me know. Or, or I guess I no, never mind. It's on me. I'll just keep googling you every day, and I'll just google your name in Edmonton until. Never mind. I'm just making jokes. Okay. No, I appreciate this very much, uh, Jana. Uh, can we go out on a song 
uh, from this new record of yours? And if so, can you choose one and tell us why it came to mind? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's do After All This Time. After All This Time is the second song on the album, I believe. Why did that come to mind? It's the most fun for me to play. And so when I listen to it, I, I, I kind of like that. I kind of see my hand going all the way down the guitar and all the way up. It's 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 an outlier in my in my two my two chord uh, tendencies. So okay. um, and it's got a really nice cello on it. My my friend Nino played. Okay, that's nice. Just wanna uh, I wanted to ask a follow up because I, I hope it's not a jab at how long you thought this interview took. <laughs> how long do I think it took? No, I mean if you're like oh god, this is taking forever. I'm gonna pick a song. Never mind. These are bad jokes. They're not. They're not landing. I just meant I thought you were taking a little <laughs> jab at me for. After all this time, we're finally done. You, you jerk. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Never mind. I didn't. Yeah, I'm a slow person. I'm very slow. I'm from Texas. There's no, no, no. Other reasons no. why I'm missing some brain cells, probably. No, yeah. no. You're great. <laughs> I, I want to play this song for people. Uh, it's called "After All This Time" from this beautiful album. Uh, the window is the dream. Jana, with all sincerity, I, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I really did. I'm, I've become a fan of your work and I, it's meaningful to me. So I just wanted to say those nice things and thank you. And I hope you like this and I hope we speak again someday and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh, it was very lovely to connect with Jana Horn. I hope you enjoyed that uh, conversation with Jana. Jana, thank you for making time for me and for everyone else. Uh, this was the 769th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana if you like. I'm on the newer things too, but I don't know their na- the names of them. Like some of them, you have to. It's like an email address. It's like mastodon at twitter.com. I can't remember what the. Anyway, I'm on some of those things too. Also, please visit patreon.com/slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Six dollars American or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, like you get the episodes early. And you get uh, bonus content with some of my guests. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt at $6 a month or more, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Thank you for your financial support of all the work I put into the show. It means a lot. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my uh, kind friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music that he has made in the past uh, that I sometimes uh, grab little bits of and put on this show like the music you're hearing behind me right now that's the instrumental version of the rest is yet to come I don't know if you knew that anyway Jim is great you can learn more about him at jimguthrie.org and finally thank you so much for listening to this episode with uh, Jana I hope you enjoyed this conversation and we'll check out her wonderful uh, music, uh, this new album out on No Quarter is uh, really outstanding, and I hope you will give it uh, the, the, the time and attention it deserves. I also want to uh, ask you to consider subscribing to this podcast or following it and potentially telling your friends all about it, and maybe they'll do the same things as you and help spread the word about Creative Control, the podcast hosted by me, Vish. All of that means a lot. Thank you. I, I, I hope to talk to you again if not necessarily with you depending on if you're my next guest I'll talk with you soon but if you're my next listener I will talk to you soon probably that's just the way it works anyway I hope you're well and uh, yeah that's all I got bye for now hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.